Hello and welcome to the latest Not A Yes Man's podcast. I'm Sean Richards and this is the point in the week you get to ask me questions about economics and financial markets. Thank you as ever for the questions and let me start with a topic of this morning, I'm recording this on Friday, and it's the British retail sales numbers, the UK ones. Why are these an issue? Well you see, after a 3.3% fall in December, there was a 3.4% rise in January. Well, that's what we're told. These are the actual real volume changes, by the way. This creates a real problem. The easy answer is no, I don't believe it. Now, let me explain why. There always has been an issue with retail sales numbers in the fact that they are quite variable and erratic. So that's an issue when you're trying to set out a pattern. But the issue of seasonal adjustment, I think, has various issues. If we start with the specific and say look at December, then the advent of things like Cyber Monday and Black Friday shifting sales into November has made it awkward, changed the pattern. And the January sales, if we move forward to the January numbers, are always awkward moving around. For example, um, earlier this week in the inflation numbers, people were expecting a lesser impact than last year because there were quite heavy price falls, reductions, whatever you want to call it, in aggregate. And in fact, we got more or less the same. So it's awkward. And that's a problem. Now, I also think that the pandemic has changed things enormously. And there's an example of this within the detail of today's release, which is around online sales, which they say were lower in January than December, as a percentage I mean here. And the issue here is that they've introduced a new methodology and you think, oh, hang on, a new survey, and there's the problem. In many economic numbers at the minute, there's so many moving parts, this is really difficult. As I said, retail sales have always been an issue, but I think that it's more so now. And let me throw in a couple of international examples. Uh, the non-farm payrolls of a week ago in the United States. A really good number, but you see the seasonal adjustment there was orders of magnitude larger than the number. So it really depended on that being right, and I have my doubts. And then you get a similar thing if you look at wages in Japan. There's two bonus seasons, June, July and December. So some of the other numbers aren't particularly relevant, but what if you know, you get more rises one year, the whole thing starts to blow up a little bit. So I hope that's reasonably clear. Moving on to the next question, which is kind of related, it's, it's another one about how much do economic statistics represent the real world? And it's asking about inflation. Person concerned buys a box of, or rather a pack, excuse me, of six what they call wonky apples, and they've gone from 75 pence to 95 pence. Now, is shrinkflation taken into account? Now, in simple terms, the answer to this is yes, but there's a more complex no. So in terms of a change, I'll give you an example, something I buy, kettle crisps. The size of a pack went from 150 grams to 130. I guess they were hoping we wouldn't notice. But that 20 gram reduction, so what's that in 150, about 13%, 14%. We're seeing here, a cut and that's quite easy for it to be put into the inflation numbers they'll just adjust the amount and do it as a calculation per kilogram per gram doesn't really matter 
So that's a yes. And when people say that isn't in, they're not right. That is counted. The problem is when you come to things where you get shrinkflation by quality rather than quantity. Something's not quite as good as before. And in fact, the whole inflation numbers, this is something for those of you unaware, a specialist area for me, and I have gone into these things at the Royal Statistics Society, how you get a quality change, how that's measured. Because in theory, it's in, and in other areas, it's not. How do you measure something? Um, the classic case, I think in recent times, and this is something that is part of the campaign against the retail prices index, over a decade ago, the clothing section of UK inflation measurement was rather blown up by some changes there. One of the factors in it is the idea of the sort of discount retailers, where something's sold out, and excuse me, mainly for the female market, I'm sure they're male ones, of say a dress that's popular, and then everyone wants it for 100 quid. But it's out of fashion, and suddenly only 50 quid. But you see, it's still the same dress even though we know there's been a quality change. So that's really awkward, a genuinely difficult question. And that's the complex part. So in various things like that, quality, I'd say in general, no. Next is an exchange rate question. How low will the yen go? And how much QE are they still doing every month? Actually in Japan, it's called QQE. Why? They had 19 goes at QE, so I thought it was a good idea for a name change, I suppose. So would you, I guess, if it had gone wrong so often. But if we look at the situation, and for those unaware, the Japanese yen's been falling again recently. We've seen a stronger dollar. And we're currently above 150 yen. Why am I talking about that? Well, you see, this is round about the last time we saw bulk intervention from the Ministry of Finance in Japan. So that's an issue. Somewhere between 150 and a 152 was the zone for the main effort last time. So there's a thing, there's a question. People have been nervous about pushing the yen lower here, expecting that they might be finding the Bank of Japan on the other side, giving things a good shove. So there's that. But the pressure remains here. And there's a subplot, remember, we spent a lot of 2023 with people saying that the Bank of Japan would raise interest rates. And, well, it's 2024 now and it hasn't. So that was a tick for me in making my point. But the yen has been under pressure. And actually, rather curiously, it strengthened with the um, news that Japan had, like the UK, gone into recession yesterday. But nonetheless, I think the underlying picture remains pressure there. Now, as to the Q issue, QE even, excuse me, or QQE, it's more complicated um, because... I looked up a speech by um, Deputy Governor Ushida, I hope I pronounced that right, earlier this month, and he points out that the amount they're going to buy is in fact determined by interest rates. He means bond yields there. So if the Japanese government bond comes under pressure, yields rise, they'll buy more. So it's hard for me to answer how much they're going to buy each month when it's variable. I might turn in with a sort of unlimited phrase or something like that. They like that. In terms of other types of QE, well, in theory, they might do more. Again, they're a bit vague. They did actually buy some more Japanese equities last year. Now, right now, for them to buy more, you might think it's insane because the Nikkei 225 is above 38,000. 
and it's possible another few nudges higher, it'll finally go above the 1989-1990 peaks we haven't seen for what now, 34-35 years. So there's quite a lot going on there. And if you're interested in the subject, it's something I cover under the Tokyo well. The Bank of Japan bought an enormous amount of the Japanese stock market. And oh look, it went up. I'm sure others, central banks I mean here, are looking for clues in that. The final question, and this is a thing that pops up a lot, is the stronger US economy down at least to it continuing its massive borrowings? And the answer to that is partially yes, I think. Is it borrowing more? Well, if we look at it as a percentage of GDP, and I'm using the IMF forecast here, the US is borrowing about from somewhere between 5.5% and the IMF expects it to go up to somewhere around 65 Whereas to compare with my home country, the UK, slightly less, well like 5%, but dropping to 4%. Now this is election year, these numbers might change for obvious reasons, but so it's borrowing more. But you see, if you take that over to the extra growth in the US, and basically the UK didn't grow, I think the US grew by 3.1%, um, you can see that actually, that would be a triumph for fiscal policy if it was all of it, because you're getting a more than one-for-one one exchange. Everyone would be at it, wouldn't they, if that were true? So I think it's some of it, but there are other reasons as well why the US has done better. One of my arguments is that a reason for the US doing better is its energy policy. It's got a lot cheaper energy in the UK and in Europe. And actually, as I've mentioned Japan before, it of course is a big energy importer, so it's had problems. So I think a lot of it at the minute, and a lot of economics, is round to energy, energy availability, and energy prices. Anyway, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, please take the advice of the coral and pass it on.